My name is Trish Trees, and this is Ordinary, a place to have transparent, sometimes imperfect, inspiring conversations about the journeys we're taking to reach our career goals. This podcast is a collection of stories about ordinary people and the tools that they use to succeed at work. So consider me your curator and enjoy the episode. Support for Ordinary is brought to you by CMG Partners, a strategic consulting firm that believes in the potential of every employee and enterprise that's working to get better. In a world with COVID-19, social distancing and self-quarantines have become our new normal. And as we collectively learn how to adjust and adapt to this new way of living, I thought there was no better time to speak with a mental health professional on purpose in the workplace. Today, Maren Schmidt shares her story on finding a career in therapy and gives us tools that every professional can use to empower themselves and become more fulfilled at their job. And all of her advice can start right at home, so consider it quarantine approved. She talks us through the mental health stigma amongst working professionals, workplace happiness, and even self-care tips for the overwhelmed listener. Enjoy. I am really looking forward to speaking with our next guest, who amongst all of this Self-quarantining and craziness is joining us over the phone for a virtual episode. Hi, Marin. How are you? I'm good. How about you? I'm great. Yeah, we're so excited to have you on today. And we could use a professional's help amongst all the craziness that's going on. Um, so first, I, I just kind of want to talk about you. Um, tell me about your job. What's what's your role? So I do a lot of things as a mental health professional. Um, I do, I'm an outpatient therapist, so I never know what's going to happen. But for the most part, you know, I'm trying to help people make a better version of themselves and figure that out and build some skills so they don't have to see me forever. That's the goal is that you don't have lifelong patients. That's nice. No, no. I don't want you to see me forever. I love working with my patients, but it's a great day when they don't have to see me anymore. Oh, that's, a, that's a nice sentiment. Um, what did, Was there something that particularly inspired you to become a therapist? Well, I think growing up in a small town definitely affects you because you see it's a very different world growing up in a rural town in North Carolina versus growing up in the Triangle you just see a lot more of the struggles and things like that. And even like being in high school, you know, being in middle school, you see it's a very different culture than you would see here. You don't have access to the things. So I think that definitely impacted me. The, the access and, and I'm sure the awareness piece, did you kind of know that it was what you wanted to do throughout your time living in a small town or did you kind of go to school and, and figure it out there and make that connection? Absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. It took me a long time to figure out what I wanted to do. I graduated from undergraduate, had no clue what I wanted to do. So I was working at a horse barn for about a year. And then I went back to graduate school to be a mental health counselor and then did that for a little bit and then took some time off. And I was a nanny and I worked in sales and then I went back to the mental health field. And that at that point is when I figured out that that's what I wanted to do. Was there any particular experience uh, that showed you something about yourself that you were like, okay, th- I, I need to be focusing on therapy or that made you really prepared to start that career? 
Um, so I would probably say whenever I first started in the mental health field, uh, it's very uncomfortable because I went to school and I was in my 20s and had two years of graduate school. Then I was kind of like, oh, okay, time to do this and time to help everybody else. But I don't really know what I'm doing. (laughs) And so I think there's a lot of personal growth in the early stages of that and figuring that out. Yeah. So do you look back at yourselves in college and you're like, wow, I didn't know anything back then? (laughs) Yeah. And sometimes I still feel like that, but (laughs) yeah, I think for majority of people, we all go through life and have to figure out, you know, that I don't necessarily feel prepared for something and it's just doing it and stepping out of that comfort zone. Oh my gosh. Faking it until you make it for sure. Yeah. Um, Well, I know you've experienced a lot of growth what do you think that you do like best at your job or really good at your job so I think one thing I'm great with is relationships and connecting mm-hmm. with other people whether that's my coworkers or clients at the end of the day you know people have to trust you and they trust you when you develop a relationship with them they're not going to take some advice from you or ask you to help them get through a really difficult time if they don't have that trust in you Right. Do you go for like a friend angle? Like, are they supposed to see you as like a friend or a mentor or do you try to keep that separate? So I think it depends on, I wouldn't say I'll go for a friend angle. So (laughs) I don't want to be your best friend, but I also work with adolescents and I work with kids. So if they see you as this person that's just like always going to be yelling at them, they're not going to you're not going to develop that relationship with them and you have to figure out okay how do I develop this relationship but where they trust me but not that I'm their best friend right not their best friend but also not like their doctor or their mom yeah yeah exactly do you see ever I've always kind of wondered this do you see like your perspective trickle into like advice you give your friends or like do you take a almost a therapist mindset when you're giving advice or like solving other problems. So it's really funny that you ask that. I was having this discussion with a friend of mine who is also a therapist. And we, I hear people say this all the time, they're a therapist. Your friends will either tell you everything or they will tell you nothing. because They feel like you're going to judge them. Right. And, they also think that you always have your therapist hat on. I do not. When I'm not at work, I want to be a person. I want to be human. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm typically not going to give you my therapist opinion unless you ask for it. You know, if you say, hey, I want your advice on something, I'll give it to you. But I'm not going to sit you down and say, let me just tell you about this. This is what you're doing. We need to change this. Yeah. But you yeah. can put on a friend hat. Yeah, yeah, I can definitely put on a friend hat. Do I would probably prefer to have my friend hat on with my friends than my therapist hat. I don't oh, yeah. mind being the friend therapist. Is would you do you take your own advice? Like, do you feel like your training has caught makes helps you think about your own problems differently? I'm sure yes, right? I think I. Uh, Yeah, so I would. I think one thing that my training has really helped me with is to be in tune with emotions and be in tune kind of with my feelings and knowing when something's not right. 
and just kind of figuring out how do I work for those through those versus I'm going to bury them down at the bottom and wait until my volcano explodes. That's interesting. I, you don't have to say for yourself personally, but what are some, what's an example of like good triggers to look out for of, you know, when you know an emotion isn't, isn't right or something needs to be reframed? So I think one, one example that I like to give is emotions are kind of like a wave. So if you think of somebody that is like a surfer that surfs the waves and you have to get to the top and the wave's going to come back down, you don't want to get to the top of that wave. Or you want to make sure that you keep it intact and figure out, okay, what are my triggers? So whenever I get to the middle of this wave, I can bring it back down. But also knowing that you're going to ride that wave out. So that emotion is going to pass, and it's figuring out how do I manage that emotion until it passes. That's nice that you can see that in yourself and help other people with that. Yeah, and I have... I think we all need that person, whether it's a therapist or a friend, if we don't have a therapist at that time, somebody we can say, hey, something's not right in my life. I need to talk to you. I need you to kind of tell me, okay, you need to check yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure that's really fulfilling part of your job. Is there yeah. like, something in particular about your job that makes you like really excited or, or what's your, I know you kind of mentioned it earlier. Is there like a particular source of passion with your, within your job? So I think the thing that I love about my job is I get to see when somebody's doing better. So I get to Mm -hmm. see when something they're like, let's say they first came to me and they were like, nope, I'm good here. Like, I'm absolutely not going to do this. And then they figure out on their own that that is something they need to work on and it gets better. For me, that is amazing. And I call it kind of graduating from therapy. And if they graduate at that point, you know, it means that they've, they've met their goals. You know, they've worked on something that they had in mind and they did it, which is a pretty cool thing. Yeah. And like, you can't, you, as much as you probably would want to sometimes, like can't make them achieve that for themselves. So it, it really is an achievement on their end. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I tell my patients all the time, like, I cannot make you do this. I cannot make you come. If you don't want to be here, I'm not going to force you to come. Mm-hmm. But you have to figure out on your own what it is that you want to come for. Yeah. I am. So I'm super fascinated by interested in just like different types of therapy, different specialties or like different approaches. Do you have one specific approach or specialty that that you focus on in your practice? So I wouldn't say I focus on this so much now, but I used to do a lot of crisis work. Okay. (laughs) I'm pretty good at bringing the crisis down, but, and I can, I still have some of that, but in the outpatient setting, I'm not seeing that as much. I do a lot of cognitive behavior therapy. I do a lot of solution-focused therapy because I want you to build the skills. I want you to recognize when my thought process is off. You know, why am I thinking like this? This There's no reason for this. And what do I need to do to think differently? And, you know, let's figure out the skills and figure out what the problem is, figure out what the solution is, and then I can continue on with my life and continue living healthy. Right. Is that kind of what made you choose that approach or did you just sort of fall into it? I think everybody can use cognitive behavior therapy. 
I and agree. it's a very common approach <laughs> that a lot of people use. And it's not a difficult approach. You know, we all use it in our everyday life. You know, whether a family member or friend, we say something to them and they're like, why in the world would you think like that? Like, there's absolutely no reason for you to think tomorrow that we're going to have a heat stroke. You know? <laughs> so I, I totally agree. I think everyone needs therapy at, at some point. And I, I've noticed that it's really easy for people, I feel like, to separate, um, you know, their physical health, like you kind of mentioned earlier with, you know, a sore throat and mental health, like they're seen as two totally different entities. Um, why do you think people view them as separate and not holistically as, you know, health? I think that mental health has been a big stigma on it. I definitely think it's gotten better, but it's not where it needs to be. And if you think, you know, I mean, they go hand in hand. They absolutely do. If, let's say, you have a 25-year-old that's been a marathon runner, and that's what this person knows, and they're in a car accident, and they're paralyzed, of course their mental health is going to suffer because they just suffered this loss of things that they were able to do previously, and they can't do it, and they don't know how to cope with that. Mm -hmm. And they don't feel right. You know, physically they don't feel right, but emotionally they don't either. Right. And they're just intertwined. Has, have you, I know yeah. you said that, um, you know, it's become less stigmatized. Has the rise of the conversation surrounding mental health made it easier to do your job? I don't think it's made it easier to do my job. Oh, really? So, um, so I think there are definitely two sides to it, you know, because it's gotten better with the, you know, kind of having that stereotype or stigmatism. But at the same time, people can't get in because there's not enough people. There's not enough therapists out there. You know, wait lists go on for days. I have friends that will open up a private practice and they will say, oh, I'm, I'm opening up this month. And then three weeks later, they say I'm completely booked. Like I have a wait list. I don't know when I'm going to have openings. Mm-hmm. And I think that's definitely difficult. And we look at, you know, different generations where our millennials are, it's a much more normalized thing for them. Whereas somebody that is retired and growing up, they didn't talk about mental health. That's very difficult for them to be able to accept that. Mm-hmm. I, I know people say like millennials and Americans in general are over therapized, like over therapized. I, I heard some crazy stat and of course I can't remember it now, but um, just the amount of people who are in therapy. And I, I haven't really thought too much about the other side of that, that there's a supply problem that um, it could be keeping people, I guess, out of therapy um, that might particularly need it. What do you think is the line between someone who needs therapy and should be in therapy versus someone who might just like want to chat with someone. <laughs> so I think as a professional, we have to realize that we have met this person's goals. Like we are no longer helping them at this point that right. they're okay without us. You know, it may be you used to do weekly therapy and now we're going down to two times a week or maybe once a month. And eventually we don't need our therapist anymore. And there also may be a time that you need to come back to therapy because you had a huge life change and that's okay. But the goal is not for to be in therapy for your entire life. You know, some people do, 
you know, some people have a lot, a lot of things that they just have to have that ongoing support. But if you're coming in and you just want to hang out and chat over coffee, <laughs> right. that, that is not what you need to be doing. Right. Yeah. Is there, is there a part of the m- mental health conversation that you feel like goes unnoticed? Like people don't talk about it enough? Yeah. So, I mean, I think mental health is just part of our everyday life. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, we all have struggles. We all have anxiety. We all have self-esteem. We all have, you know, maybe something confident. And it's something we kind of bury. And so we have to figure out how do we work on that. And that, in turn, affects your mental health. Because if Mm -hmm. you don't have the confidence, you know, it's going to affect your stress. It's going to affect your anxiety or it's going to make you it may cause you to feel depressed because you can't do something like somebody else can and comparing yourself that's interesting for do you do you see like working professionals in your practice um so yeah I think there are tons of working professionals that seek therapy yeah do you what are some more common problems you see from just an average working professional is it you know, is it stress? Is it anxiety? Do they inability to cope or plan things well? What do you What do you see as the major um, mental health focus for for this particular group? I think self esteem and anxiety are pretty high up there. Um, I think overdoing ourselves. You know, we have so much. You know, many jobs today. It's not your, this job, you're doing a job for three people. And so when you're doing a job for three people, your strength is going to rise. And in turn with that, you know, self-esteem, we are surrounded in a world with social media. You know, this person is doing this better. And so I'm going to compare myself to this person. You know, do, what am I wearing? Or am I making the most sales? Because I want to be at the top. Or what are my coworkers or maybe a different firm that I'm working with? What are they going to think about me? And, you know, constantly questioning that because in 2020, we are in that place where it's the constant need to do better, not being where you're at, not being okay with, you know, I'm doing good, but let's take it to the next level. Yeah. The general unrest with where people are. That's interesting. The confidence. I would have not even thought about that, but it makes sense I guess when you see it can cause stress seeing other people be really good at their jobs or making a ton of money or you feel like their life is and job is so much more interesting and exciting like I guess I do that too but I wouldn't have really thought of that initially yeah we I mean everybody does this we compare ourselves to tons of different things you know no matter if it's personal or professional whatever that might be we're always comparing because somebody else has something better or maybe we question if we're good enough, you know, can I do this job? Yeah. Even uh, comparing yourself to people that you work with like that. Yeah. That can, yeah. Eliminate confidence too. Is there, I'm sure this is like such a big question. There's no probably real answer, but what are, what are some things that help people, um, become more happy at work or just improve their mental health and their professional life? So 
I am huge on self-care. And I know people talk about it all the time, but if you don't take care of yourself, you can't take care of someone else, something else. You know, you have to kind of find that internal happiness. Mm-hmm. And whether that is figuring out, you know, I need a new hobby because I'm just doing this. I uh, do my job. I come home. I do the same thing every night and then I repeat it. And there's nothing in there that sparks that fire. You know, you mm-hmm. have to have something that you're looking forward to. Yeah. How do, how do you recommend people who would say back, well, I, I, I don't have enough time for myself to, you know, practice self-care is the is the recommendation then okay like make it like find a way well I think self-care doesn't have to be a long time of self-care yeah, it could I even be you know yeah it could be five minutes at the end of the day I'm going to be stressed and instead of sitting there on my phone for an hour I'm going to go take a five-minute bath and I'm going to shut the door and nobody else is going to come in there yeah. <laughs> or you know it could be I'm going to readjust my schedule and I'm going to get up earlier so that I can do this and kind of have that time and it sets my day right. Because yeah, we all okay. like to sleep in, you know, <laughs> nobody likes to get up early, but sometimes when we're working a full-time job or we have family, we have obligations, we just have to say, okay, what's my priority? Yeah, it's interesting that you say like instead of being on my phone I'm going to take a bath because in my mind I hear self-care and balance and I'm like like I don't have time for that like I'm busy I have a busy job but like I absolutely have time to you know be on my phone or to hit you know snooze or something like that everyone does and so it's less about like taking time away from work to care for yourself and more about using what time you have left to do something good for yourself rather than something like unproductive Exactly. And then, you know, sleep. If you're not getting the sleep you need, you know, your body's not going to function like it should. And sometimes it's training yourself to have that sleep and figuring out what I need to do to get a good night's rest because maybe you're sleeping, but your body's not really resting. What's okay. What's the minimum amount of sleep a working professional should get? Like if they want to advocate, what's the minimum amount of sleep you should get to, to function well? in your work day? So I think it definitely depends on the person, but I would say, you know, if you're under six hours, like you're not, I mean, you cannot perform your best. That's me. But I know, but I know people that need nine hours of sleep a night and if they don't get those nine hours of sleep, they're not going to function their best. Mm -hmm. But I would say on average, you know, seven, eight hours is good. Okay. I, I, I've known people that get, four and five hours and I every single night and I'm like I just don't know how you function like there's no way your body is rested with that I read a stat once or it might have been in a TED talk where someone it was a it was a sleep doctor that said that if you get under five hours of sleep for four nights in a row it has the same effect on your brain functioning as being drunk like like not able to drive drunk I I thought that was so interesting oh yeah I have heard, I have been told by different, actually another mental health professional has told me this, that they had hallucinations because they did not get enough sleep. Like they, because they went so long without sleep that they started seeing things. I, 
yeah, I mean, I hope to never, I hope to never get there, but I need my sleep. Like, I feel like I could, if I had to pull super late nights, multiple nights in a row, I can't do it. Yeah. And consistency is such a big part of that. Okay. You know, doing the same thing on the weekends that you're doing during the week. You know, you have your five days a week and you have your schedule. And then on the weekend, you stay up super late and then you sleep super late. And then when you come to Sunday night, it's hard to get to bed. And then that throws your Monday off, which goes into your Tuesday. You're like literally speaking about me right now. Like I feel seen because I like, I, that's exactly what happens to me. Like I have the same, I don't sleep. I have the same like sleep routine during the week. And then it gets so whack on the weekends that on Sunday night, I'll go to bed at like six. And like on Monday I wake up in like a different land. Um, so yeah. I, I don't have the consistency down either. That, that could obviously get some work. It's, um, it's hard. It's hard. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm there. Um, is, do you think that I'm trying to think of the right way to phrase this? Do you think people need to be happy at work to be happy in life, have a full life? Like some people say, you know what? I, I, I work to live. They compartmentalize their job and their life. Do you think that you need to have a really fulfilled work life to have a well-balanced life? So I think they both impact each other because mm-hmm. if you are not happy at work, it's going to affect your home life. You're going to come home and you're going to be grouchy and, you know, so you have a family at home and then you don't want to do anything. And then your kids are going to say, Hey, why aren't you doing this? And that's going to affect them. And kind of the same, if you are unhappy in your home life, it's going to affect your, it's going to affect your professional life. And so I don't think you're happy all the time and everything, but you just have to figure out that balance and how do I find that? Yeah. Is there one good, is there a standard way we should view our, we should view work in our lives or is it probably just different for everyone then? I think it's different for everybody because for one person, you know, they find a lot of purpose and this works for them that they work eight to five Monday to Friday and they have a job that they clock in and they clock out and once they leave, they leave. Or, but there are some people that are working night shifts. They're working 12 hour shifts or they work a couple hours in the morning, you know, not working the afternoon, then come pick them up in the evening. And that works for them. And I think mm-hmm. it's all about figuring out what works for you. Right. I kind of want to shift and talk a little bit more about um, purpose at work, which is something that I've noticed focused a lot in, um, you know, new and trendy ways of working. Everyone has to know their purpose. There has to know their why, but it's also kind of tough to define something like that. Um, do you think that, how do, how do people combat this feeling of having no purpose of work at work, of feeling underutilized or un, unmotivated by their work? Well, I think, you know, when you're thinking, okay, I'm underutilized or I'm bored, people get bored when they're not growing yeah, or they don't feel that they're making a difference. Because if you're going to work and all you're sitting there doing is typing numbers on the computer every single day, and you've been doing that for the past 10 years, you're going to get bored and you're not going to find that spark anymore. So I think it's figuring out, okay, what do I need to do to change this? It could be just a little change. Maybe it's a change in scenery. Or maybe it's having the courage to talk to your boss and say, hey, this isn't working for me. Let's do something different because I used to love this and now I don't. 
And also yeah. remembering your boss doesn't want to lose you. You know, you're there for a reason. You know what you're doing. You're good at your job. If you weren't, you wouldn't be there. Mm-hmm. I, I, I like how both your solutions start with taking the initiative yourself you know, and, and not expecting someone else to, to give you a purpose, but to kind of start poking at things that, that might help it grow. Do you feel like people need, do you feel like those who don't feel purpose at work just kind of have a perception problem? Like, do you think that people just need to be empowering themselves more to feel more purposeful at work? I don't necessarily, I wouldn't necessarily say it's a perception problem, yeah. Because no one is going to see what you see. You're the only person that can see that. We all see things differently. And we all go through changes. And some of us just don't have that fire anymore that gives us purpose and figuring that out. And maybe it's because I'm not taking care of me. You know, I need to put me first instead of putting everybody else. Because I'm so drained from that. Or maybe it's because I don't have a choice in my job. You know, I have these certain bills to pay. I have to take care of my family. And this job is what I can do that pays the bills. And I can't take that chance of leaving this job and not having that. But I think people need to empower themselves. You know, empowerment is another way to be confident. We Mm -hmm. all have fears. We all have some insecurities. We all question ourselves. But when we overcome that, that's an amazing thing. And that's where you find your fire. That's where you find your purpose. And when you empower yourself, you're taking the control and saying, I've got this. What do you, what's your reaction to people who are like, I don't, I don't know what my fire is. Is it just keep, keep setting goals and and try and try and make your own fire? I think it's kind of exploring in yourself as well. And it's figuring out, okay, where do I find that fire? You know, like we talked about earlier, home life is going to affect work life and work life is going to affect home life. So if you are not happy at home, there's a likely chance that you're not going to have that purpose in your job. And maybe it's figuring out, you know, I don't have any hobbies. So yeah. let me figure out some fun things that I can do outside of work. And then that's going to give me a little bit more enjoyment. And it's going to make me feel more confident, make me feel that I'm, you know, making an impact on something or someone. Yeah, because you can't expect if you seriously don't know what you like, what gets you excited, like outside of work, you can't like expect to show up on your first day and like ha- and and know what gets you excited about, you know, your job or or I like that you use the word fire. Like I'm going to steal that. Um, I I totally agree. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> there's I, I I feel like there's a tendency for people who are like I don't work for a nonprofit, I don't work in healthcare, you know, it's. I can't find that warm, fuzzy feeling. Um, is there a way to find, you know, you know, focus and, and, and motivation, um, and purpose at like just a normal desk job? Like, is it just have to do with the way that you're, um, finding what you're good at and, and then setting goals? I think it's an outlook because I would look at them and ask them and say, okay, well, why did you why did you take this job to begin with? You know, there has to be a reason that you took it. And every job, you know, every position has a purpose. 
And maybe it's not in healthcare or maybe it's not directly dealing with other people, but you're making a product that's impacting somebody Mm -hmm. or, you know, you're doing something that's impacting somebody, you know, we'll say you are helping build cell phones or, you know, maybe doing something in production, you know, your product is making somebody else's life easier. It's making them smile. Yeah, absolutely. And you, and, and you have to keep, you know, keep that in mind and, and kind of refocus on every single job has, has a reason. Um, it's, is there anything that human resource departments or, you know, directors of talent can be looking out for from a mental health perspective to help employees, you know, be happy at work and, and be more purposeful on the job? I think it's, one day thing is you have to know your people. You have yeah. to build a relationship with them because if you're just a number, you know, they're going to know that. They're going to know that you want your people to feel comfortable with you. So when something's not right, they're going to come to you and say, hey, you know, I just want to let you know this is going on with me. This may be why I'm not performing great right now. But, or it could be vice versa. I'm saying, you know, there's a person or something at work, like, it's not working. So they say, I'm not happy, you know. And then HR says, okay, what can we do to fix that? So even team building, you yeah. know, knowing the people that you work with. If you work with other people and you don't have a great team, it's not going to be that great. Yeah, I agree. And so that is a I, – I was going to ask, like, are there consequences for, you know, people or employers who don't focus on – employee purpose and and I and it sounds like you would you would say yes that it's it is it's a critically important that you do know your people yeah because you want to invest in your people you know if you don't invest in your people they're gonna find something else you know you see this all the time on LinkedIn and I can't think of the exact phrase how it's worded but it says you know if people don't leave a job because of the job they leave a job because of the people. Mm. Yeah. And if somebody loves their boss, but maybe they don't love what they're doing, they're going to be a whole lot likely, more likely to stay there versus somebody that hates everybody they work with. They don't have friendships there, but maybe they like what they're doing. And there's another company that they have feel more supported. They're likely going to leave. Yeah, absolutely. I, so appreciated your take on um, on you know purpose in the workplace, mental health in general. You've given such good advice for um, all the working professionals out there, how to be happier at their job. And it was just honestly really cool just getting to hear a little bit more about you and your approach. And um, thank you so much for joining us. Um, we I'm, I'm sure every all the listeners uh, will get such great benefits out of this episode. I know I did, and you know I didn't even have to pay for it or sit down in a leather chair. <laughs> yeah, I know. Super fun. I had a great time. Amazing. Thank you so much. And uh, yeah, have a great rest of your week. Thanks. You do the same.